Welcome to the Word of a King podcast. It's where culture clashes with our calling, where preaching is more important than popularity, where we rightly divide and properly apply the scriptures, where we put to rest common and controversial issues. We do this by looking to the Word of a King. The key to understand the Word of God is for the author to show you what the thing says. If you understand that book, you get for the author. Then he opened their understanding. Amen, amen. Welcome back to another episode of the Word of a King podcast. I am your host, Chad Reese, and with me as always is the co-host, Brother Brian Beam. And it's been a fun-filled day already. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate uh, you coming by, Brother Brian, and uh, uh, the Doherty family also came by. We had some delivery of hardwood, and that was a little bit adventurous. Uh, I thought the guy who was delivering it, he was pretty impressive, whipping that pallet around by himself. Yeah. Offloading. And uh, so that was the first one. But then, then there was the big uh, pallet. He said it was 3,000 pounds. 3,000 pounds. He had a manual pallet jack, so no brake. Yeah. just used force. Yep, and then uh, putting on his we, lift gate and lowering it on the lift gate. I, I swear, pounds. I was waiting for it to fall over. Yeah, but I knew it insured, wouldn't. You insured me it wouldn't. Yeah, because I used to work with box truck and pallet jack, but I had a powered pallet jack, which was much easier. Yeah, but yeah, you get these big old pallets, and it it looks like it's gonna fall. Oh yeah, but yeah. It's more secure than it looks. Yeah. His his thing was kind of jerky though. His uh, lift gate. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but that was fun. That was fun. He got it off. We just helped him a little bit. Nice guy was able to give him a gospel track and Man. a little a little tip just to, for his uh, help and appreciation. But that was busy. And then right before that, yeah. uh, my son thought he had a sprinkler built into yeah. his uh, smoke and fire alarm uh, in his room. And of course, there are no sprinklers built into it. But there was water coming out of it. <laughs> and uh, so that was fun. Had to cut the power and, and realize the air conditioner in the attic is leaking. And so I uh, called uh, faithful brother, brother Bob Dell. He's got his own air conditioning business. If you're looking for heating and cooling needs, uh, I'm not sure the name of his business, but you can look him up, brother Bob, Bob Lone Dell. Wolf. I think it's Lone Wolf. Yeah, Lone Wolf. Yeah, Micaiah gave us a card, business yeah. card. Yeah, so anyone, this is a plug. <laughs> yeah. If you're plug. in the uh, Downriver, Metro Detroit area, uh, contact Lone Wolf heating and cooling I, I don't know if that's the proper full name but nevertheless or you can contact us we'll give a number and he's on his way out might even be working on it right as we speak but uh, nevertheless it's been a fun-filled day we're a little bit delayed in getting uh getting this podcast going but nevertheless i am looking forward to it i think this is a very important a uh, probably one of the most important issues because this issue affects all other issues and what we're going to be looking at on this podcast and at least one more maybe two more is the bible issue we're going to look at and try to explain uh, uh, on a level that everyone can understand the importance of having a final authority uh, what is the issue at hand what, what do they mean by the greek text and uh, are there true errors and contradictions in new versions and why is there so many bibles um but just kind of, kind of, that's what we're going to be looking at in the next few podcasts, uh, brother Brian. Any any kind of other introductory remarks before we get to kind of the principles or what the Bible says about this issue? Important issue. Some people say this is a hobby horse. It's just some small little pet doctrine, but 
we'll go ahead and get into that and show you, oh, quite the contrary. It is not just some small issue, pet doctrine. It's the issue. Yeah. The issue. Before the earth was created, it was the issue. Amen. But, yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> going to be the issue all throughout eternity. And, and uh, maybe I could just say this on a very simplistic level. And again, we'll try to lay this out in a manner that if you know a lot about this issue or if you know nothing about this issue, that hopefully you can take away some thoughts and some things to consider. But truly, it comes down to who is or what is the final authority. And you'll find out quickly that those who rely on the new versions, rely on the Greek text, that at the end of the day, they are the final authority. Yes. But um, we'll get more into that. Hmm. And I think uh, hopefully this next couple podcasts will be a blessing to you. Um, let me just state this in case I forget. I don't believe, and nor do I believe, Brother Brian believes that every Christian who carries a new version is lost. I definitely don't believe that. I don't think they're all wicked. I don't think they're all of the devil. I think there's a good portion of those folks who are truly saved that just don't know about the issue. They've never heard. They don't understand why. And so we hope to help them. We hope to show them why it is an important issue. Um, but uh, as Brian, Brother Brian said, this is the issue at hand. So I think where I'm going to start is uh, just by laying out the idea of, and let's talk for a moment, Brother Brian, about Bible doctrine, understanding the Bible as a whole, and what, what I mean about that, no matter what subject it is. I don't care if it's the Bible issue, if we're talking about you know, the nature of God or Bible doctrines. We understand that we have to look at the totality of the Scripture, not just one verse. We understand that we have to see what the Bible says on the issue. And what we do know, Brother Brian, is the Bible is not written and thou shall not in all situations. Of course, they're there, and we've talked about this before. But a lot of times what the Bible does is it talks about an issue, so you learn what God thinks about the issue. And God adds stories, he adds verses, he adds cross-references, so we can learn about a matter. And I guess what I'm trying to say is the Bible does not have to say that God said the King James Bible is the word of God. Right. The Bible does not have to say that the NIV is a corruption. I mean, that'd be ludicrous to think you have to have a verse that says the NIV is a corruption. And so what you, when you study the word of God, you find principles that are laid out right. all throughout it. And those principles help you understand whatever subject you're dealing with. Um, any additions or anything you want to add to that, brother, before we kind of get in and lay out maybe the foundation of the attacks on the Word of God that we find in the Bible? No, I, I agree with what you said. Uh, it's like, where does the Bible say I can't spend 10 hours on my phone? Where does the Bible say I can't play Minecraft 10 hours a day? Well, it doesn't, so go ahead and play it and just be a worthless Christian the rest of your life. Like, God doesn't write the Bible that way, right. and for you to put parameters on God, unless he tells me I must read a King James Bible, I'm going to read whatever I want. That's not the Christian attitude. That's not how God does it. Where does God say it will be a pre-trip rapture? He doesn't. Well, that's not how the Bible is written. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Uh, God wants you to search them, some things out. God wants you to put the time and effort in. And if you're too lazy or too indifferent, 
God will sh- he'll shut you off. Yeah. If you're saved, you're saved. You're going to heaven just like anybody else, but you're not going to have any fruit. You're not going to have any rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and your whole life is just going to be a flop. You live for yourself. So that's not how the Bible's written. You don't approach God that way. You approach the Word of God with fear and trembling. Amen. Not show me where it says that, or show me where it says that, or show me where it says I can't drink this and do that. That's not how the Bible's written. I assume you guys know that. I hope you know that. Yeah, and again, that's just a point that we really want to drive home. I mean, because if you go down that road, is show me a verse. Bad road. Show I, me a... I never seen a strong passage. Christian who went down that road. I'm no, sorry. It's, no, it's you, always these lame, come to church once every two months, kind of live just like the world. That's the kind of people that say that, but it's, go ahead. No, no, you're right, brother. <laughs> and that's the point I'm trying to drive home is because the fact, like you already gave examples, but, you know, show me a verse. And, and again, I'm not trying to be sensational. I, I'm not trying to, you know say things just to shock people but i mean if you go down that road then show me a verse where you can't smoke crack or show me a verse where you can't smoke marijuana or show me you know what i mean it's just yeah. not the right mindset show me a verse where muhammad was wrong with with what he did right there isn't one so the point is <laughs> the point is so when we approach this issue the bible issue what we got to do is ask god to open our eyes that we may behold wondrous truths out of his law. What does God say on the matter? And, and what does the devil think of the matter? And so hmm. we know from the very beginning, and this is not going to be nothing very profound, that the devil, when he shows up in Genesis chapter 3 as the serpent, he does something to beguile Eve. And this principle you need to pay attention to. I'm preaching on a series right now on the treasure truths found in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the beginning, and God lays some foundational truths for us. And I believe Genesis chapter 3, there is so much rich doctrine Hmm. in Genesis chapter 3 from the enemy to the fall of man to the substitutionary atonement of God. I mean, you can go on and on and on. But one of the amazing truths here, one of the revealing truths here, is God's going to show us about our adversary. God's going to show us about the serpent. Now, in the military, we had this saying. It's called TTPs, techniques, tactics, and procedures. In the enemies, they would study us, and we would study them. And you do that to know your enemy so you can war a good warfare. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't war good warfare because they don't know their enemy. But from the very beginning here, we see what the enemy is going to do to beguile mankind and get mankind to fall and get mankind to go against God. So I'm just going to read this. This Again, this is pretty elementary, but we want to lay the foundation to these next couple podcasts. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. The very first thing recorded in the Bible about the serpent is, he <laughs> says, yea, hath God said. So the very first tactic that God wants us to learn, that God wants us to know about the devil, is he will question the word of God. And there's another point I'm going to bring out here in a moment, but let's just stay with that thought for, for just a moment, Brother Brian, and I'm, I'm going to turn over to you to expand on that, about the devil attacking and questioning the Word of God, simply as a principle 
So when we approach this Bible issue, we know that the devil is interested in attacking and questioning the Word of God. That's established. That's pretty simple. Yes. And uh, so why don't why don't why don't you go ahead and expound as you see fit on just this very elementary, basic level about why and that what we learn that the devil is interested in questioning the Word of God. Yeah, the first sin committed on earth was attacking the Word of God, questioning the Word of God, doubting the Word of God. You go to Matthew 13, the parable of all parables, the sower and the seed, and Jesus Christ said a sower was sowing seed and some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured the seed up. And he interprets it. The seed is the Word of God, the fowls are the devils. So the devils come and snatches the Word out of their heart, lest they should hear it and believe and be saved. So... During Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, he warned about the devil attacking the Word of God and right. taking it out of your heart. And maybe after Calvary, the devil died or he's in hell right now or the devil retired. He, he's on a beach somewhere. No, because 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a harmless little kitty cat. No, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Wherefore, resist steadfast in the faith. And Paul said, 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as one or two, no, as many, which right. corrupt the word of God. And then 2 Corinthians 4.2, he talks about we're, that we don't handle the word of God deceitfully. So during Paul's day, people were corrupting the word of God. And the most important thing is the word of God. Everything we believe is because it says it in the word of God. So of course the devil would attack the word of God. Of course the devil corrupts and puts out corruption. But anytime you bring this issue up, I, took, I mentioned this many times, I've read James White's book, 271 pages. I think I read it four times back before I even heard of Dr. Ruckman. Or I did, when I first realized there was an issue, I was given this book because I was getting into this whole King James thing. And he never addresses the devil. All he says is, well, if the devil was in it, he would take out all the references. <laughs> Apparently he's ignorant of Satan's devices because right. that's not how the devil works. I believe Genesis 3, he's yeah. subtle. That wouldn't be very subtle to say, I'll give him a Bible with two verses in it. Well, no, nobody, everybody would see that's not a Bible. So Big that's blank, not how the devil know, works. All blank pages. And right. Just, you know, you, the Catholic Church. I mean, you could go there. Jehovah's Witness, the Mormons. You could go there and get the gospel and be saved. They have it's in their literature. It's sure. It's a false gospel. They add to it or take away from it. But they have Bibles. They have literature and sure. the gospel is in there. Well, that's how the devil works. He, he takes the truth and he adds some air to it and twists it and Amen, he's subtle. No, absolutely. And so, again, just to kind of stay on this thought and to recap this thought, what I said from the beginning, we see that the devil is interested <laughs> in attacking the Word of God. He is interested in casting doubt on the Word of Why God. Why wouldn't he be? Exactly. So if, if, <laughs> if we are going to judge purely by the Bible, we're Bible believers, where is the devil working? Yeah. He's working and questioning the Word of God. These are just principal statements that if you miss, you will be beguiled by someone who has a PhD or a doctorate who knows a foreign language and you don't, and mm -hmm. he's going to sound intelligent, yep. he's going to sound smart, and he's going to convince you, and listen to me, you'll miss the simplicity that God wants you to see that in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, that the devil said, yea, hath God said... And then if you couple that with what Brother Brian said, this will help you out with the argument about, well, the oldest manuscripts. And we'll talk more about that. But as he said, Paul said that in his days, there were those that were corrupting the word of God. So just because 
you have a manuscript, and let's just say they found a manuscript and they knew 100% sure that it dated to the dates when Paul was alive. That doesn't mean <laughs> that it's the words of God. Because why sure. could you not got one of those corrupted ones? Now, again, we'll get more into the manuscripts and all that. Again, all my point is, is we're just trying to lay some foundation principles for you to consider when you consider the Bible issue. And he also said about how there was those that handle the word of God deceitfully. So they corrupt the word of God. They, they handle it deceitfully. We know the devil questions the word of God. And yea, hath God said. So again, before I bring out another just principle in Genesis chapter 3, uh, Brother Brian, why don't you, for, for the listening audience, I'm, I'm going to show two different Greek texts, and maybe you can expound as, as you want to, uh, maybe about the originals and about these Greek texts. But I'm going to just, again, this is on a very simple level, and I know those who study this issue will say this is oversimplification, and I, and I agree, but for this podcast, for the sake of introduction, uh, I want I want to show you two two books two Bibles um, two Greek texts I should say uh, first of all this is the Nestles Allen's New Testament Greek text and here this Greek text uh. <laughs> is the Texas Receptus known as the majority text now the the only truth I want you to take away from this is oftentimes you hear the argument that well the new versions are simply to update the King James Bible to make it easier to read. And we're going we're gonna to show you why that's a, a fallacy and that's a right-out lie in, in later on. But I also want you just to understand on a very basic level, that is not true. So the, this Greek text I have right here, the Texas Receptus, is the underlying Greek text for your King James Bible. This Greek text, the Nestles Oland New Testament Greek text, is the Greek text that underlines all the new versions. And so here's what I'm trying to tell you. It's not just updating what they call archaic words. Right. It's not just making the issue uh, a little bit easier to understand because you can't understand these difficult words in the King James Bible. They're not telling you the truth. They're actually translated from different Greek texts. And of course, I know, again, as I said, that's a very oversimplified view, but it's an important thing that I want you to understand. They're not even translated from the same Greek text. So why don't you, brother, just maybe talk for a few moments about the Greek text, if you want, the originals, or anything anything further you want to elaborate on that issue? Well, they would um, say, well, where does it say the King James Bible is the Word of God? And my response would be, where does it say whatever you believe is the Word of God? So if the King James is not the Word of God, then the Word of God is, you got three. You got about three options. So I'm going to go over those and show you why, if it's not King James, you have no authority, you have no Bible. It's either King James onlyism or it's scholarship onlyism. That's right. Either you're the scholar and you get to pick out any Greek text you want, any of the hundreds of new versions in English, or any other version, and you get to pick in every single verse what is the Word of God according to what you say it is. Right. That sounds crazy. That's what you're doing. You say, oh, no, I do. Okay, then you let your pastor do it, right. or you let a Greek professor do it, or you let a Christian college do it. Either the King James Bible is your final authority. We don't attack one word. We don't mistake. We don't add to one word. We don't yeah. take it away. You, if that's not your final authority, your final authority is nothing. So you say, well, no. 
the originals are the final authority. Well, the originals don't exist. Yeah. Everybody knows that. James Newsflash. White would tell you that. Uh, Brutes Mesker, uh, Nestle Allen. Well, that's two different people, but I think they're both dead. Anybody would say, the Pope would tell you that. There's no such thing as the originals. Everybody acknowledges they disappeared over 1,900 years ago. So the originals are not your final authority. So we have the scripture. We have the word of God. Where is it? The originals. It's not that they don't exist. Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, 35 said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not. Amen. I believe Jesus Christ when he said that. I believe the words of God are around today in the King James Bible. You say, well, that means the originals. Well, then Jesus Christ lied because yeah. the originals do not exist. They disappeared 1,900 years ago. So if it's heaven and earth shall pass away, but the originals shall not, then Jesus lied. It clearly, the word of God for today is not the originals. You say, well, it's the Greek text. Well, he just showed you, the, here's two right here that we have in our office that he yeah. happened to have from PBI 10 years ago yeah. or whatever. Nestle Allen, this is probably the 23rd edition, maybe 25th. There are at least 27, and I believe 28 or 29 editions. They have hundreds of changes just in Nestle Allen Greek text. They're very similar. They're just updates to it. There's four or five editions of United Bible Society. There's what's called Erasmus Greek text, the first Greek text that came out in the late 1500s. There's a guy named Stephanus who has a Greek text. Elzevir has a Greek text. Biza brothers have a Greek text. There's um, Colonnaeus Greek text. There's Greasebach Greek text. And there's a, there's a Septuagint, the so-called Septuagint. There's a million Greek, not a million, but there's probably at least 100, maybe 100. I think Kenneth Wiest had his own Greek text that he came out with. There's tons of Greek texts. They, they disagree in thousands and thousands of readings. So, so if the Greek text is your final authority, you have no fi final authority because there is no such thing as the Greek text. The word the is a definite article. Right. It means one. The Son of God. Not a million sons of God. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. The Greek text means, means one. Well, that's a lie. There isn't one Greek text. And nobody even believes that this Greek text in my hand is perfect, has no errors. None of them would even say that. So let me just interject <laughs> here. And, and again, so just so our viewers and listeners understand, in case someone doesn't know, can you just briefly explain to the listener viewers, although this is, you know, Nessa Allen's New Testament Greek text, can you kind of just explain where or how they even come up with this and, and i guess what i'm driving at is they didn't just find hmm. this yeah what is it what how did they come up with it what does this comprise of because i really can i think some people don't even know no they most just, people don't know right they just think oh this is the greek text and right. well, what does that even mean can you kind of just explain like how do they come up with a greek text right so nestle island greek text it's a committee i should have looked it up they might have 10, 12, 15 of the greatest minds, the greatest biblical scholars. I think uh, Carlo Martini, who was at one point was in line to be the next pope. He's a cardinal, I believe, in the Catholic Church. Mm. He's on the committee. Mm. Eberhard Nessel, I believe, died years ago. Maybe his son is on the committee. Bruce Metzger, some of these great Greek scholars that you hear about, they all sit down in a room. I don't know, it might take six months. It might take a year. It might take two years. And here's how they determine what Matthew 1.1 says, what John 3.16 says, what 1 Timothy 3.16, there's differences with the new Bibles, which we'll get into later. Here's what they all sit down, and they take all the available information, and they determine, I believe probably, no, I believe the devil is guiding them. Sure. I, I would say it's probably unknowingly. I don't think they're devil worshipers openly or sure. anything like that 
But they decide scholastically, based on evidence, just just as far as a book goes, what the original, re- what is the closest to the original reading? What is it's a science, science of textual criticism. What is most likely the original reading? And here's what they're doing: they have Greek manuscripts. You say, "Oh, aha, there it is, the Greek manuscript." That's my authority. Right. Well, no, it can't be. There are five. Last time I checked, five thousand eight hundred and ten Greek manuscripts. Sinaiticus is one. Vaticanus is one. There's there's some that are that date back to the uh, papyrus manuscripts that date back to maybe 50, 75 years from from the Apostle John. Right. There's some that are as old as the 1600s. There's 5,810 Greek manuscripts. Some of them might be almost whole books. Some might be just two chapters out of the Book of John. And, and they all differ in tens of thousands right. of places. So what these guys do, they sit down and determine, okay, this says we got 25 manuscripts for example that have the lord jesus christ and then we have two that say jesus christ what should it be and they just determine what it should be but but it's not just that they have tons of ancient translations they have ancient translations from the third century fourth century fifth century they'll have the king james there they'll have all different greek texts They'll have over 80,000 quotations from church fathers. Right. We have quotations from, I, I believe it's Chrysostom or maybe it's Polycarp. I confuse those two. One of those two knew the Apostle John personally. They have his writings going back to the first century, and he's, these church fathers are quoting the Bible. They're writing letters to each other, and they're quoting the Bible. So that's some good evidence there. And they'll determine, all right, let's say John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And I believe all the Bibles agree on that. There's sure. not even a textual problem there. But they'll sit down and say, all right, now we have this church writing from uh, 300 A.D. We have this Greek manuscript that has John. We have 38 manuscripts that have John 1.1 1, 1 in it. And they take all the evidence, all the church writings, all the, and they Put it all together, they talk about it, and determine every single verse what it should be. Right. So when you talk about a Greek text, this is what these men, some of them are lost, by the way. Sure. None of them are soul winners. None of them have any kind of fruit. They deter- They are telling you what the Word of God is, and you're just trusting them and swallowing it. So let me just uh, kind of recap, <laughs> because yeah, recap that was a it. lot of information. Sorry. No, no, it's good. I, and this is why I wanted you to explain that. And so here's the point. If Brother Brian laid out some couple scenarios, and of course you might be able to come up with a couple more, but we're saying there's only a few scenarios when it comes to this Bible issue. One is you are a King James, that is the Word of God. The King James Bible is the Word of God. That's one, that's the position we're at. Two, you say it's the Greek text, that is the final authority, this is the words of God. And what we're telling you is that you could take this Nestles, and they said there's multiple editions, maybe up 27, 28 now. They change each other all they, the time. They, yeah, they differ, So meaning there's differences in them. But what we want you to understand is how they came to write this Greek text. Again, they have all these manuscripts they examined. They have the writings of the church father. They have ancient translations, older translations. And then out of those where they differ, that committee picks and chooses based off of what they believe that should translate to be the Greek text. So again, they become the final authority. So if this is Hmm. your final authority, we're going to give you some passages. What do you what do you do? Like where it says that Jesus Christ is a begotten God, and some other examples later on. But then they'll say, no, no, no. It's the manuscripts that are my fine authority. Yeah. Well, again, you're you're putting your trust in education. You're putting your trust in scholarship. That's why Brother Brian said at the beginning, it's either really it's two options. What were those two options again? You said scholarship onlyism, which right. that's what that is. Scholarship. We'll get into that. Just how. 
there's no authority there or it's King James onlyism. Right, those are really your two options. But say it's either King James, you know, the final authority, or maybe the Greek text is your final authority, or maybe it's all the manuscripts your final authority. But but at the end of the day, I want you to understand you're picking and choosing what your final authority is. And and this is the principle that I wanted to show. Again, so what does the Bible say on the issue? What 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 does the Bible have to say on the idea of being the final authority. Well, I find it very interesting. In Genesis chapter 3, I showed you the very first thing that the serpent does is question the word of God. Yea, hath God said. And then, you know, I'm going to read a little bit of context here. And then I'm going to point something out that I think also is very interesting. Verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree, trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Now listen, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Listen carefully, verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Here's the point. He questions the word of God. And then he says, you can be as gods, knowing good and evil. Mm. And when you boil this down, you know what people do who say, when they question the King James Bible, they say, yea, hath God said. Right. Is that really supposed to be there? Is that, that really the correct translation? Yea, hath God said. And then you know what they do? I'm the God. I'll tell you what it's supposed to say. I have the education. I know the Greek. I understand the language. And they become the gods. They become the final authority of the issue. And I'm telling you, that principle is established in Genesis chapter 3 about questioning the word of God and then becoming God yourself, becoming the final authority. And no longer is God's word the final authority. You become the final authority. And so, again, these are just principle statements. Um, what else in regards to maybe introduction, or, or do you want to dive into some examples, or what else do you think in regards to introduction? Well, I had a couple things to mention. Number one, if that, the Greek text is your final authority, I just wanted to mention there's, there's obviously more than one school of thought on that. There's a guy named, he was one of the greatest scholars in the 1800s, Dean he was a, a dean of Oxford, I think, University in England. Dean John William Bergen, he wasn't King James only. He didn't think the King James was perfect, but he believed that the King James text, the Syrian text, the Antiochian text, the, it's also majority text, though not in every single verse it's not the majority, but for the most part it is the majority. Dean John William Bergen w was against Westcott and Horde, who kind of introduced this whole Alexandrian, this right. new text that overtook Christianity and all the new Bibles are from. But not all, it's not even that. You can, some of the greatest scholars even today do not believe in that Greek text. They're not King James only. They're not nuts right. like us. But they believe that there's a total, they reject that Greek text and they'll go with another Greek text, the Syrian type text of the King James. And they think that is the most accurate representation of the original autographs. And I know, da I believe Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the most respected Christian seminaries around, their majority text. Right. They're not King James only. They're not like that. But also, I, th I think PCC would, Pensacola Christian College is like that. And then they have some great scholars there, men who have five, six, seven earned degrees, who know all the Greek. They probably memorize the whole Greek New Testament, and they do not believe in that Greek text. 
majority do, majority of so-called Christian scholars, who, who cares anyway, believe that the Nestle's Greek text, the Alexandrian-type Greek text that the New Bibles are based on is the best, the oldest and best. But there's more than one school of thought. Right. The New King James Version is translated from the, the King James Greek text. Right. There's a bunch of corruptions with it. But they had tons of scholars on that committee, scholars, uh, professors of uh, major Greek departments at major Christian colleges and universities that don't subscribe to the to the Alexandrian Greek text. They would disagree with tons of changes and agree with the King James readings. So it's so of uh, it's so wishy-washy. It's not you say well the words that say King James. If that's your authority, you I mean there's thousands of changes amongst professors and experts that'll disagree on tons of things all the time. So that's no, that's no authority. Yeah, absolutely. So just again to represent this to to follow that thought Brother Brian is saying that even amongst the scholars, oh, yeah. you're going to have scholars that are going to go with the Nestle's Allen text. And, and again, I'm glad you brought it up. This was really a continuation or a build upon of Westcott and Hort. And I, and I know you mentioned this statement, and, and I concur with this, that a lot of these you know scholars down here and Nestle's Island and all these guys, I don't know everything about them. And I don't think you know they purposely are devils thinking they're corrupting the word of God, but the devil is subtle. <laughs> they don't have to be. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to be. The devil can use them. And uh, But here's the thing. You ever study the lives of Westcott hmm. and Hort? I mean, those guys were very much into the cult. Um, I, I don't no clear testimony of salvation. I mean, I believe those guys, as far as I've read and studied on them, they're very wicked, and I have no testimony of their salvation. Yeah. And uh, so it's the it's built upon some very wicked men. But this is this camp here, and again, as he's mentioned, now you have this camp here, which is going to be your majority text, the Texas Receptus, and and again, so even amongst the greek only folks they disagree now the reason that we said that really it's either king james only or scholarship only is because you don't hear people that carry an niv mm. or esv say you know these this is the final authority this is the words of god it truly is mostly i'm sure there's exceptions but those who hold to the king james bible because we truly believe <laughs> these are the not just word of God, but the words yes, of God. Words. Every single one of them. I'll read Psalms chapter twelve, verse six and seven. Um, many of you, probably most of you, can quote it. But the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace with earth, purified seven times. Now listen, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Well, we believe that. We believe that just like, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God said he will preserve his word from this generation forever. Where's it at? Like Brother Brian said, where's it at? Well, we believe we have it in the King James Bible. This is the preserved words of God. So the question to you who are with listening and viewing, where's it at? God promised he would preserve it. Is it in the majority text? Is it in the Nestle's Island? Is it in the manuscripts? <laughs> Where is it? Well, this is what each individual has to decide. And we're going to show you that's as we get on. It's not in these new versions. That's 100% clear. And but, we're going to make that case, and yeah. we're going to show you why. And so, now don't forget the principle. From the beginning, the devil said, Yea, hath God said. Don't forget the principle. There was corruptors of the word of God in Paul's day. Don't forget the principle. There was those that handled the word of God deceitfully. And so we have these principles, and don't forget that God promised to preserve 
his word from this generation forever. Why don't you expound a little bit on, and I know we're jumping a little bit ahead, but what the new versions do with that verse there? Is it all right to jump to that? Just because we're talking about Which that? Psalm 12, 6, 7? Yeah. Yeah, it changes the, the pronoun to the word of God, thou shalt keep them, to thou shalt keep us, talking about the people in verse, I think, verse 4 or 5. Yeah. At the antecedent, and it's ignoring the Word of God, and it brings it back, so it attacks God's preservation there. Yeah. They do it all throughout. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get plenty more examples, but the reason I wanted to bring that up now, because I just read the verse, and, and again, so just to reiterate that, it what it does is removes the promise of preservation, where God said, Thou shalt keep them. Again, the antecedent is verse 6. That's to the words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And it changes it, thou shalt keep us. Hmm. And so the emphasis is no longer on the words, but to the individuals. Well, that's a perversion. That is not what the Bible says. And so that's a big difference, either pre- preserving us or preserving them. Well, we believe that we have the words of God. And so unless there's anything else you want really <laughs> add to the introduction, and we probably won't get to many examples today, but we really, really wanted you just to understand this issue kind of on an elementary level, just to lay out some principles about the Word of God. And yes, the devil is interested in questioning the Word of God and hmm. casting doubt on the Word of God and stealing the Word of God out of your heart, like the sower of the seed says. So now we'll transition and, and do some comparisons and and maybe look at some verses and have you decide what you think. Um Brother, if you want to add any other other comments or if you want to dive into some examples, uh, however you want to do that. Yeah, I got a few comments. Yeah, go for it. Uh, obviously, the devil's around. The devil's attacking the Word of God. We're going to show you. It's, it's actually very, very simple. Which one's the Word of God? We're going to show you lies. We're going to show you blasphemy. We're going to show you attacks on Jesus Christ that if you're saved and love Jesus Christ, should make you want to puke and right. burn the thing in the fire, literally. That's not exaggerating here. We're going to show you which one. But I just want to mention... The Christian, you are warned in 1 Timothy 6.20 to avoid oppositions of science falsely so-called. So the Christian is warned about that. Do you know what they call this? These men sit down, I explain to you the procedure, and they determine what should the reading be in Mark 9.17. That's called the science of textual criticism. You are warned about science, and these people call it a science, and they're the critic. It's called higher criticism and lower criticism. They're the critics, right? Right. No, Hebrews 4.12, give you a Greek nugget I gave in a podcast recently. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharp in the any two-edged sword. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Greek word for discerner is kritikos, hmm. which is critic. The word of God is the critic, and these people think they're the critic, and they call it a science of textual criticism. Christian, you are also warned in Colossians 2 about philosophy yeah. and tradition. And I believe... The last days of the church, the Bible's description of it is not rosy and sweet and a wonderful church that's going to produce the greatest and latest Bibles that are the best. No, you are warned about an apostasy. That means a falling away from a standing position. And the last days, the Bible paints a horrible, filthy, wicked, vile picture of a Laodicean, a lukewarm church that says it's rich and increased with goods and has need of nothing. And Jesus Christ is on the outside. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's to the church of Laodicea. Jesus Christ is kicked out of the church. His words are kicked out of the church. Amen. Jesus Christ said, he that is of God heareth God's words. So the God's words kicked out. Jesus Christ is kicked out. He's trying to come in. 
and they're a lukewarm church worried about their rights, Laodicea, civil rights. In the last days, many shall fall away, and many shall turn their ears away from the truth, be turned into fables. That's the Bible description of the last days. So you say, well, King James is just some fringe group. First of all, it's not that fringe. A lot of people that don't know any better just read the King James up in the mountains. It's still the number one selling Bible, by the way. They read the Bible, and they too dumb, thank God, to know any better that it has all these so-called errors and the latest and greatest manuscripts, and they read it and believe it. But that fits the Bible description of the last days, that it's an apostasy. The whole church, if what we're saying is true, then almost all churches are deceived. Almost every single Christian college is teaching lies and producing professors that are, and pastors that are teaching lies to their congregation. Well, no, that makes perfect sense. Sure. That's how the last days are going to be. Right. The Bible described it down to a T. Yeah. So, I don't so know. So, <laughs> I think, too, brother, just because we're already at the 40-minute mark, instead of diving into examples, we'll just continue this conversation for a few more minutes, and then uh, we'll pick up in the examples in, in the next podcast. So, But, no, exactly, brother. You're, you're right. I mean, so did we, did we think in the last days that, uh, you know, that Christians are going to get stronger on the Word of God? No. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how the Bible talks about the last days. And so all those points are well taken. I'll read a couple. Again, these are just principles. We're talking about principles, warnings, things that God wants us to see. But uh, Revelation chapter 22, the Bible says in verse 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of of the book of this prophecy god shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in the book now again we're not giving a theological discussion on revelation chapter 22 where all the doctrinal emphasis uh, simply on the principle you can see clearly god doesn't want you to add and god doesn't want you to take away from his book and you say well speaking of the prophecy of this book revelation nevertheless it still doesn't want you to add and doesn't want to take away. And again, we could discuss if that's what it's saying or not, but I simply want to boil it down to the principle that God is concerned. God does care when man adds and man takes away from his word. We see the same warning in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. (laughs) I wonder if these critics believe that. I don't think they believe that. No, they don't believe it. How could they? There is no word of God. Right. It's what they say it is. Every word of God (laughs) is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And thou shalt not, and thou, I'm sorry, add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. (laughs) Again, he doesn't want you to add unto it. Another one, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Again, so God is very, very concerned. Hmm, Sounds like someone's doing it. Yeah, with people adding and subtracting from his word. It's no light matter. We know in the beginning the devil question the word of god we see that paul said there was corruptors of the word of god we see that paul warned about those that handle the word god deceitfully so this is not just a hobby horse yeah. as we started this is a major issue in a moment i'm going to read something from kenneth weist uh, this is old i did greek critique back in pbi but 
just uh, maybe maybe uh, if you want to expound or elaborate anything just in general about adding takeaway what god thinks of it what the devil thinks about it anything else you want to just add on to no, that? just the same idea that they they don't even they just look at it as a historical book and what's the most likely original reading and we get closer to the date of the original writing then we get the more accurate reading which is not true necessarily and certainly not true in the bible issue but they just discount the fact that there is a devil and that he has anything to do with it where's the devil's evidence the devil leaves evidence everywhere it's not hard to tell where his hand has been but when we look at these side by side it's so it's so clear which which one the devil is attacking and my thing is okay they think the king james is inferior they think all the new bibles are better if, if you're of that persuasion but they don't say the king james is of the devil but right. if what you read is true the king james is of the devil if that's the more accurate bible and if that's that then the king james is adding right then the king james is from satan himself then they should but they don't believe that right because they don't believe the Bible. They believe the Bible is whatever they say it is. And it's so important because I'm telling you, I mentioned it before, John MacArthur will do this. Anybody will do this. If they don't believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, any verse they don't like or they don't yeah. understand or that'll fit really nicely into a sermon. I've seen MacArthur do this, and I've, I've looked up like 20 different versions and couldn't find where the reading was. He just makes it up. Yeah. They'll change any verse. Let's say you're studying the Genesis of Christ. Let's say you're talking about the pre-trib rapture. If they believe some, then you show them any verse. And this is just Joe Schmo you're talking to who thinks he's smart enough to correct the Bible. You're talking about the deity of Christ or the pre-trib rapture or rewards of the Gemini, whatever you're talking about. And you're like, what about this verse? They'll just go to the Greek and say, well, it really means this. Or they'll go to a different version that right. they'll look through 50 of them if they have to. Like, oh, this version right here matches what I already know. Right. So they're never going to learn any Bible. You can't, they're God. They, tell, they can tell yeah. you what the Bible says, no matter what you say. I've seen these people quote stuff where the King James and the NIV and the Greeks, they all are in agreement, and they'll go against some. So they not only think the King James translators were morons and we're more enlightened now, they'll go against every version that's ever been produced. So they're not only smarter than the King James, they're smarter than everybody who's ever um, uh, put a Bible out. Yeah. They're just egotistical maniacs who are possessed of the devil and, and want to tell the God what the Bible says. It, it's insanity. Where, where in the Bible do you see anybody doing that? Well, what the Bible really says is yeah. incorrect. And Moses said this, but he really should have said that. You don't the see that. The only place we find it in the Bible oh, yeah. is we read it. Yea, hath God said. The serpent's doing it. And, and again, so I do find it interesting, like you said, and oftentimes it's to fit a set of beliefs or doctrines, right. like, you know, a Calvinist, there's a reason they prefer the ESV and, you know, because there's words that fit their Calvinistic doctrine. And so the same thing's true with these um, prosperity preachers. They'll, they'll go to five different versions yeah. on a verse that needs to fit their doctrine. So it's not out of honest heart. It's not because the Word of God teaches it. They're convinced of a doctrine. They're convinced of a teaching, and they will either find a version that fits it. They can't find a version that fits it. Then they'll start referring to the Greek, and then they got 16 choices of words they can choose from. Yeah. And again, at the end, they are the final authority. Yeah. But the principle is very clear not to add or take away from the Word of God. So after three years, and by no means am I a Greek scholar, I struggled through Greek. I'll be the first to admit it. Did one year Hebrew, struggled through that. Me too. But, but what was the blessing, brother, is I was able enough to understand the Greek and the issue, the Greek issue, where I could take a lexicon, yeah. I could take a writing of any of these professors and scholars who have PhDs and know it much better than I do, and see how they're blatantly lying to people. Yeah. And we'll talk about examples of that. But I want to give an illustration. This is out of the book of Kenneth, Kenneth Weiss, Word Studies, and, and the title alone should be telling to anyone with any sense of discernment. It's called The Untranslatable Riches 
from the Greek New Testament for the English reader. In his whole thesis of this pretty short book, maybe 150 pages or so around there, not a very big book, his whole thesis of this book is that the King James translators were not able to truly translate the riches of the Greek New Testament. But you know what he does in his book? Hmm. He translates those riches for you. <laughs> so the King James translators couldn't do it, but Kenneth Weiss could. But I want to give you just one example about how he clearly adds to the Word of God and how he changes the Word of God. I want to read you, this is in that book, Untranslatable Riches, Kenneth Weiss Word Studies, on page 41 in his... This is what he says at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, how it should read. I solemnly charge you as one who is living in the presence of our God, even Christ Jesus, the one who is on the point of judging the living and the dead, I solemnly charge you as not only living in his presence, but also by his appearing and his kingdom. Brethren, that's a mouthful. Now, let me read to you 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 in the King James Bible. Here's what the King James Bible says. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his peering in his kingdom. Listen to me. That's clear. That's understandable. I would have to go back and read Kenneth Weiss' version of 2 Timothy 4.1 multiple times to try to even understand what he was trying to say by his education. Now, here's the point. There's five change words in that one verse, and there is 33 additional words that he added to that one verse. Here's the question. Does that violate the principle of what we've been talking about? Doesn't that make the reader think when he reads Kenneth Weiss' book and he has a King James Bible in his lap and he reads that? Doesn't it make him think, yea, hath God said, and cast doubt on the word of God? Doesn't it make Kenneth Weiss the God of this authority and he's the one who can tell you what it should say? And did he not not only change but add to the word of God? And so the point is, and there's example after example, we're going to get into some of this next week and probably the following. I'm starting to compare these issues, but with you to remember the very foundation of what God wants you to know and how the enemy attacks the word of God, questions the word of God, how God said not to add to or take away from it, and how God said he promised to preserve his word from this generation forever. Brother Brian, why don't you, uh, any, any closing thoughts, any closing remarks, and then we'll close out yeah. this podcast. But feel free to give them whatever you want. A thought I had. I don't know if you're going to show Vaticanus. Or yeah, that, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Here, I want to read this. I just picked it up, just had this thought. New American Standard Bible, very respected. I think the scholars consider this the best English Bible. The King James was, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Pretty similar to the King James. Not similar to Kenneth Weiss. Right. And here's the Greek text. I, don't, I can't read all the Greek text, but I don't know if you want me to show them, but I'm just kind of yeah, looking at 2 Timothy 4.1 and Nestle's Greek text here. Maybe hold a little closer. There you go. That's, That's about as good. That's 2 fine. Timothy 4.1, it's on this side. Nestle's Greek text. 
I know enough of those words that it pretty much matches the King James, which matches the New American Standard. This is Nestle's, the most respected Greek text on the face of the earth amongst right. Kenneth Weiss. He's not a Syrian text guy. He's a, he's a Nestle's guy. My point is, Kenneth Weiss is not only correct in the King James, mm -hmm. he's not only correct in the New American Standard, right. he's correct in Nestle's. Right. I'm looking at Nestle's right now. It matches pretty much what the King James is saying in English and the New American Standard. He just That's my point. He right. just proved my point also. They're just making up stuff. And they are the final authority. Yes. One, one little thing else we, we want to just share with you. And again, this is just to give you some truth, some things to consider. I'm going to put up on the screen. Hmm. And I'll have Brother Brian explain to you what you're looking at. That's beautiful. That's called an unseal manuscript. I don't know. Is that Vaticanus or Sinaiticus? I think that one. It doesn't matter. but Yeah. I yeah. think it was the Vaticanus. Now, the oldest and best manuscripts, you hear that all the time. It's not found in the oldest and best. The oldest and best is the oldest. The King James isn't based on the oldest and best manuscripts. The Westcott and Hort and Tischendorf and Griesbach unearthed these old manuscripts, and that's one of them. That's either Vaticanus or Sinaiticus. That's the two oldest and best manuscripts. Just based on that one manuscript, they'll attack hundreds of, make hundreds of changes in the King James Bible. This guy, Nestle, their committee, goes by that one manuscript, and there's over 5,800 of them. They'll take that one manuscript and attack the King James Bible left and right. But that's what's called an unseal. Unseal is a Latin fancy word that means all capitals. That's an unseal manuscript. The oldest and best are all unseals. That's an example of an unseal manuscript. It's all capital letters, but notice it all runs together. There's yeah. no separation in chapter, in book. If we had the whole, right. if we had the Mark and Luke, if we had a, several pages, we could show you. It's just one run-on word, not even sentence. Yeah. There's no... It's it's pretty much the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation is one word consisting of I don't even know a hundred thousand letters. It's just <laughs> there's no separation of letters, words, paragraphs, chapters, books, verses. But that's better than the King James, right? Yeah. I I don't read Greek. I can't read Greek. I, how is that better than the King James? Amen, brother. So that that goes back <laughs> full circle. Yeah. And we're gonna get ready to close out the podcast for today. That goes back full circle. You have a couple yeah, options. Which one you want? Right here, I know it's going to in a Bible cover. King James Bible, is that your final authority? In English, universal yeah. language of the, the end times, by the way. Right. Or is the Greek text your final authority? And then if so, you have to choose. Yeah, uh, which what, Greek text? Which Greek text? And they all disagree. There's all different right. editions of both. So choose your edition. Which one is it? And you say no, it's none of those. No. It's the manuscripts. Well, let's see. There you go. That is your final authority. That's one of them. That, yeah, the point is that that's <laughs> what you're basing your final authority on. Probably the vast majority of people listening, and you'd have to be watching to see this example, could not even read that. How in the world could that be your final authority? Again, that's why we boil this issue down. If you're relying on, on the that as the <laughs> manuscript of your final authority, or if you're relying on either of these as your final authority, this is why Brother Brian said, then you're relying on scholarship right. as your final authority. Or yourself, if you're smart enough. Right. You'd have to learn for 30 years. I don't think God did it that way. By the way, those if Vatican and Sassanian, they find these manuscripts, and they're almost a complete New Testament. Some of them have the Old Testament in also, translated into Greek. It's a so-called Septuagint. Right. That's what they're quoting when they say Septuagint. But they'll also have New Testament pseudepigrapha, it's called. That's New Testament Apocrypha, the Shepherd of Hermes, the Gospel mm -hmm. of Thomas, the Epistle of the Gospel of Enoch, or the Epistle of Enoch. There's all this New Testament um, fake 
fake writings that's in there. Why isn't that part of the Bible then? And that's, I'm getting off here. They said, give me a verse that shows me the key. I have the perfect answer to that. Number, well, two of them. Give me a verse that shows me what you believe. But also, give me a verse that shows me the canon of Scripture. Mm. Where in the Bible does it say, the new, especially New Testament? Right. I, can, I can give you some stuff on the Old Testament. Sure. But where in the Bible, give me a verse that says Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that the canon, the rule, the 27 books of the New Testament that we, that we all accept is, is those. Why aren't there added books? You have a verse on that? You do not have a verse on that. Nobody on earth has a verse on that. Well, then believe whatever books you want then. No. <laughs> so, so obviously, again, this is God a matter. Work that way. This is a matter that's going to come down to faith. And the truth is you put your faith in something. Yes. You either put it in man, yep. scholarship, maybe your own intellect because you are smart enough to learn wow. the Greek and Hebrew. But I do like what you bring up and you raise a valid point of, you know, why they always want to refer to the Septuagint. And again, that's the Old Testament, supposedly Old Testament writing, but it's in Greek. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe you, I asked you, I was like, you know, I never understood why they did that. But you had mentioned about, well, Greek's a lot easier to understand than Hebrew. So all you gotta do is be a Greek scholar. You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar yeah. too. And uh, anyways, there's a lot of just practical truth in that. But, but at the end hmm. of the day is this. We believe we can show you some internal proofs of why we have the completed Word of God in all 66 books. I mean, one of those is the book of Isaiah. There's 66 chapters and how they match the 66 books and orders. And there's other internal proofs, but they don't have a verse of why they left out those other books. They don't have a verse of why they're going to tell you to believe in this manuscript and that manuscript. It's all education. It's all philosophy. It's all what they think. But brethren, at the end of the day, this is what we're trying to tell you. We believe the words that are found in the King James Bible. They are our final authority. They are God's words. And we hope and pray that through this podcast and the next couple, that you too will come to the understanding that this is not a hobby horse. This is a very important issue. God told us not to add, not to take away from his word. We see the devil was at work questioning the word of God. And brethren, what we want to do is build your faith in the word of God. So until next time, we pray that you do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Get yourself a King James Bible. Yeah. Read a King James Bible. Yeah. Believe the King James yeah. Bible. Preach it. <laughs> Until next time, God bless. The key to understand the Word of God is for the author to show you what the thing says. If you understand that book, you get for the author. Then he opened their understanding.